Okay, so on this Tuesday, which is October 10th, we are at, and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, I think we are, we are in chapter 16. Basically, we got really to the end of that, very close to the end of chapter 16. True? Yeah. So where we are is David is now gone. He has met certain people as he was leaving, and I told you that you needed to remember those names um, because David will meet some of them when he returns. And we've learned, met some other people like Ahithophel. Ahithophel is the man who was one of David's counselors but left David's side in this and went over to Abs Absalom and is going to provide counsel to Absalom. And with David, Ahithophel had a very high batting average, I think is a way to put it, in terms of how his advice worked out for David. But David sent another man back, sent a man back. He didn't send Ahithophel back. That's, that was his choice. But he sent Hushai back, who was also a trusted advisor of David's, to basically confound the advice that Ahithophel was going to give Absalom. And in addition, David prayed to God that God would cause Ahithophel to give bad advice to Absalom. So though David is leaving in great sadness, and it's very poignant, and we see what I had called last week the good David returning um, in some of his encounters on the way out of Jerusalem, he's still a practical man. He is the king. He does want, he does want his throne back. And... Um, he has sent two young men, sons of the priest Zadok, to go there so that they could be sort of informants for him and leave the city and come and report on things. He put Hushai there to, to, to work against the advice of Ahithophel. And um, so it isn't that David, David hasn't given up entirely. He was just smart enough to realize that the time had come to flee. But that doesn't mean David's done. I think that's about where we are. Okay, any thoughts or questions about that before we press on today? Well, I want to pick up at verse 20 of chapter 16. We may have read that last week, but I always like to bridge, you know, one week to the next. So, Absalom said to Ahithophel, give us your advice, what should we do? Right, because Ahithophel is now one of Absalom's top advisors. And Ahithophel answered, well, sleep with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself obnoxious to your father, and the hands of everyone with you will be more resolute. So it's supposed to deepen and make permanent this break. No going back. This, you know, you've heard like the point of no return. This, that there is, this is, this is the point of no return. Absalom's to go up in the sight of everybody, have sex with David's concubines, and Hithophel says, well, you know, this will make sure that Everybody understands there's no going back, so everybody on your side of um, Absalom is going to fight all that much harder because don't be expecting any reconciliation or anything after this kind of 
um, abuse and and barbarism because it's going to be he's it's going to be rape. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he slept with, he had sex with his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That's his reputation. Like I said, he has a good batting average in giving advice. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. It's reminding you that Ahithophel, Ahithophel, <laughs> is a really good advice giver, right? He's, things work out like, like, he's, like he suggests. So Ahithophel said to Absalom, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. Don't wait. Don't wait. Go, go, go. They're weak. They're tired. They just fled. They haven't had time to get themselves organized, yada, 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 all the way across. I would attack him while he is weary and weak. I would strike him with terror, and then all the people with him will flee. I would strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. Okay? Striking down David is enough. Like I explained last week, they are all cousins. They're cousins. They're brothers. They're cousins. So what Ahithophel says is, we will strike down the king, we will strike down David, but not everybody else. We want them to come back. We are the people of Israel, we are the people of God, and they will then come home and recognize you, Absalom, as, as king. So he goes on. The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. This plan seemed good to Absalom and to all the elders of Israel. So Ahithophel's given two pieces of advice. One about the concubines, about Absalom demonstrating that he is, you know, he's, he's the big guy now. And he can do what he wants, including taking. Taking again, you notice? Didn't use the word taking, I don't believe, in the passage, but it's the same thing. Taking these ten concubines of these wives they're second wives, but they are still wives of David. Um, and the advice about falling on David really, really quickly. But Absalom said, summon also Hushai, the archite, so we can hear what he has to say. When Hushai came to him, Absalom said, Ahithophel has given this advice. What should we do? Should we do as he says? If not, give us your opinion. So, I mean, if you're Absalom, right? I mean, that's all pretty smart. You want to hear from your counselors, your cabinet, as it were. Hushai replied to Absalom, the advice Ahithophel has given you is not good this time. Now, the fact that Ahushai is saying this leads you to conclude what? that Ahithophel's advice is good, right? Because Hushai's been sent there to make sure Absalom gets bad advice. The advice Ahithophel has given you is not good at this time. You know your father and his men, they're fighters. They're as fierce as a wild bear robbed of her cubs. Ah. That's where Mama Bear comes 
that might be where mama bear comes from. Oh, my wife is a mama bear. I can tell you stories that will stop you in your tracks. It'll make your blood run cold. I know, she does. She's a good mama bear. Besides, your father is an experienced fighter, Absalom. He'll not spend the night with the troop. Troops, even now, he is hidden in a cave somewhere, some other place. If you should attack your, if he should attack your troops first, whoever hears about it will say there has been a slaughter among the troops who follow Absalom. Then even the bravest soldier, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt with fear, for all Israel knows that your father is a fighter and that those with him are brave. So he basically says to Absalom, well, I mean, you're thinking you're going to go swoop in and grab David or just kill David? David's not hanging out there with all the troops. You know, he's back somewhere safe. He's sleeping in the cave. Right? And if, if it turned out that his soldiers fell on your soldiers, and it didn't go well for a while, well, that'll be the end of it. That'll be a disaster. So, Hushai says, I advise you, let all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, that is from the north to the south. Dan is way up in the north. That's the Dan, tribe of Dan. Beersheba is not even on the map. It's right down at the bottom. It's, so Dan is like the northern border, and Beersheba is like the southern border. Okay. So I advise you, let all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, be gathered to you, with you yourself leading them into battle. Okay, so this is going to be a big project, calling up all the men, assembling the men, getting them organized into units and commanders, the tribe sending those they're willing to send, and then getting yourself set. How long would that take? A month? two months, whatever it is, that's, that's the advice Hushai gives. Then we will attack him wherever he may be found, and we will fall on him as dew settles on the ground. Neither he nor any of his men will still be alive. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we will drag it down to the valley until not so much as a pebble is left. Because you got to get, got to pull down the city walls somehow. You got to get, got to get into the city. So Ahithophel argues, nope, we need a quick, go get them right now, right now. The, the iron is hot. The time is right. Hushai says, no, no, no. Let's get ourselves organized here. Let, let, let's not fly off the handle here. Just get ourselves organized. We'll assemble this big army and we will get them, regardless of where he is or where he goes. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the archite is better than that of Ahithophel. Aha. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel, of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. So the perspective of the writer here is that, all right, God heard David's prayer. God says, yes, okay. So, Absalom is not listening to Ahithophel. 
Instead, he's listening to David's secret agent. Okay? His secret agent man. <laughs> you remember that song from like the 60s? Am I the only one that thought it was a secret Asian man? <laughs> Listen to it next time. I'm sorry. Secret Asian man. Well, okay. <laughs> All right. So do you see that? You see, so you see what, what, what God is doing here. God is, God is determining, right, that David is going to get the throne back. And Absalom will not be successful. Hushai told Zadok and Abiathar the priests, these are the two guys who went back into Jerusalem to be informants and carry communications to David, right? Ahithophel has advised Absalom and the elders of Israel to do ah, such and such. In English, that would be yada yada. <laughs> but I have advised them to do so and so, <laughs> yada yada. Now send a message at once and tell, isn't it interesting? Because so, so often in the Bible, it's very repetitive, right? And because it's an oral culture and you, you, you can't turn back a page. If somebody's telling you a story, you can't say, hey, turn back a page, please. I lost, no, you can't do that. So because it's, it's, it begins as oral storytelling, a lot, it can be very repetitive. In this case, no, he doesn't bother repeating the advice thus and thus, so-and-so, such-and-such, so-and-so, yada-yada, whatever it was. Interesting. Now send a message at once and tell David, do not spend the night at the fords in the wilderness. Cross over without fail or the king and all the people with him will be swallowed up. So David has been running. Here's the red line. And they are not to stop and rest because um, they want to get out of the reach of Absalom. And as long as they do that, they should be okay because Absalom's not going to try to fall on them instantly. Do not spend the night at the fords of the wilderness, cross over without fail, or the king and all the people with him will be swallowed up. So Jonathan and Ahimaaz were staying at Enrogel, just a place. A female servant was to go and inform them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they could not risk being seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom. So the two of them left at once and went to the house of a man named of a man in Bahurim. He had a well in his courtyard, and they climbed down into it. His wife took a covering and spread it out over the opening of the well and she scattered grain. She's a smart woman. So she covers the, 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 the two spies basically are down there and she covers the well with a cloth of some kind and then, or a piece of wood and then she sprinkles grain on it, right? <clears throat> and no one knew anything about it. It's a little bit like the story at the beginning of the book of Joshua when the Israelites send spies into Jericho in order to check it all out. And they end up being hidden by a prostitute named Rahab. And they are protected by Rahab. And she tells them that she is offering protection to these foreigners, these Israelites. 
Israelites, because she's a Canaanite, she's not an Israelite. Rahab is from Jericho, and Jericho is, I mean, the Israelites haven't even been in that city yet. And she tells them because she has heard this story of this mighty God. And she's remembered in Jewish lore as marrying Joshua, all so beautiful, and all this other things. And she, Rahab, is in the genealogy of Jesus at the um, beginning of Matthew's Gospel. This woman who does this for David in terms of protecting his spies, well, she's not named, but she's an important figure in this because these young men, that's why I see them being young men, um, are important to David in terms of David knowing actually what's going on. When Absalom's men came to the woman at the house, they asked, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman answered them, They crossed over the brook. So she even lies for him, just like Rahab does. The men searched but found no one. So they gave up and returned to Jerusalem. The game started at 3 p.m., so, yeah, right? Men. So, <laughs> after they had gone, the two young men climbed out of the well and went on to inform King David of what they knew. So they said to him, set out and cross the river at once. Ahithophel has advised such and such against you. So David and all the people with him set out and crossed the Jordan. By daybreak no one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, that's Ahithophel, he now realizes that Hushai had undermined them and given different advice to David. Right? So they're not going to rush out of the city. Um, the young men, I don't think, understand this. Right? All they know is what Ahithophel told Absalom. But when Ahithophel finds out that his advice has not been followed, he takes it hard. He saddled his donkey and he set out for his house in his hometown. He put his house in order and then hanged himself. Can you imagine if everybody in the presidential cabinet hanged themselves when their advice wasn't followed? <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty... <laughs> hey. <laughs> I mean, really, that's a pretty drastic response to your advice not being followed. You know, maybe he senses that, that God is with David and God is not with Absalom and that he has backed the wrong horse. He has backed the wrong horse and he sees in that his own doom, his own doom. And so he is, just decides, well, I'll take matters into my own hands here. And so he hangs himself, wow. After getting his house in order. At least he was polite and helpful about it, right? So he died and he was buried in his father's tomb, which would be the practice. Wow, wow, okay. So any thoughts or questions to this point? Ahithophel, did y'all practice pronouncing Ahithophel during the week? Really? Ahithophel. Yeah, it's kind of a challenge. Mona. My study Bible says Ahithophel was commanded to 
would be found guilty of treason as a co-conspirator. Right, he sees his own doom. Uh, this is not going to go well now. And so he'll just take... Maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I, I will admit, I get lost in the name sometimes. But yeah, I think, I think you might be right. You could find that out for us, Mona. I will. 99% sure. 99% sure. Okay. So, so you're 99% sure. Well, I trust you. So she's 99% sure that Ahithophel is the grandfather of Bathsheba. So he would know about the inner workings, and I just think, for whatever reason, he chose the wrong side. Perhaps he resents deeply what David did to Bathsheba. Well, she's got to be on the run with David, because all of David's, you know, household is on the run. So she's been on the run, but you know, she hasn't. We haven't heard, heard her name mentioned in a while. Right? Because what's the focus on been on? Absalom, Amnon, David. Ahithophel, Hushai. Okay, anything else? Alright, so David went to Mahanaim and Absalom crossed the Jordan. Mahanaim. See, so this, this map maker sort of traces the path up until where Mahanaim likely was, right? So David has gone up in the Jordan River Valley, following along in the Jordan River Valley on, and stopping on the eastern side. Probably, probably the tribe of Gilead territory, I think. But David went to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. So some time has passed. Um, this is kind of like feudal Europe or something, to where the king would call up men from the various lords and sublords to the king in feudal Europe, medieval Europe. This is what the king is doing. He's calling up men from the tribes. They all have to come. They have to gather. They get organized. And off they go after David. Absalom had appointed Amasa over the army in place of Joab. Because Joab's with David. Joab did not change sides. Amasa was the son of Jether, an Ishmaelite. You know who Ishmaelites are? Descendants of Ishmael? Who was the from the family of Ishmael? Ishmael was the first son born to Abraham. Remember way back in Genesis. Um, uh, uh, so, you know, Abraham and has been told he's going to have a family and descendants more numerous as stars, but the guy as old as dirt. And his wife is just about as old. And, and she laughs at the prospect, he laughs at the prospect of Sarah ever bearing a child. And so Sarah comes up with this scheme where she sends in a servant girl named Hagar to get pregnant by Abraham. And that child, that first son of Abraham, born to Hagar, is Ishmael. Well, as soon as that child is born, guess who starts acting all uppity-like? 
as far as Sarah is concerned, Hagar, this Egyptian servant girl, Egyptian slave girl, basically. And uh, so the end of the, you know, so Sarah ends up eventually getting rid of Hagar and Ishmael, and they go off, and they are seen as the forebears of Muslims. Yes, yes. So in the Arabian Peninsula of Muhammad, um, the Arabs saw themselves as the descendants of Abraham and Hagar via Ishmael not Abraham and Sarah via Jacob because those are the Israelites right so that is why if you read around and you probably will in the coming days there'll be something about all this Christianity Judaism and Islam are all Abrahamic religions because they all will trace themselves back to Genesis 12 Abraham it's just one side of it is through Abraham and Sarah and Jacob culminating in Jesus and for the Arabs it was Ishmael and Abraham and Hagar anyway okay there we go just another little little tie in there okay so Amasa was the son of Jether an Ishmaelite who had married Abigail the daughter of Nanosh and sister of Zuriah, the mother of Joab. So it's not the Abigail who had married Nabal, the fool, and was one of David's wives. Okay, again, not that many names, surprisingly, in some cases, because they sure do seem to have a variety, but we keep running into the same ones over and over. The Israelites and Absalom camped in the land of Gilead. Okay, so this area right here on the eastern side of the Jordan River is the land of Gilead. It's a land given to the tribe of Gilead. When they settle in the promised land and they're dividing the land up and each tribe gets its own area, except for the tribe of Levi because they are the tribe of priests and the priests don't get a, a land allotment. They are to be supported by the other tribes. Okay, anything? When David came to Mahanaim, Shobai, son of Nahash, from Rabbah of the Ammonites, and Maker, son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite, from Rogalim, brought bedding and bowls and articles of pottery. So these three guys bring stuff. They also brought wine and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans and lentils, honey and curbs, sheep and cheese from cow's milk for David and his people to eat. For they said the people have become exhausted and hungry and thirsty in the wilderness. So, you know, you take a group this size like David has with him. They have to eat, drink, all the rest of it. So these three men are immortalized in the book of Samuel as being those who helped to provide for David and his household who have, who have fled. Okay. Now, David mustered the men who were with him and appointed over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. So David has a large group with him. There's a large group of Israelite fighters 
that are still with David. And he gets them organized. David sent out his troops, troops, a third under the command of Joab, a third under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zuriah, and a third under Ittai the Gittite. I love that one, Ittai, Ittai the Gittite. So Ittai is one we met when David was leaving Jerusalem. Remember Ittai? He met Ittai and he said, you haven't been with us that long, go, go, go back. You don't, this is not your fight. Ittai said, yeah, it is my fight and you are my king. And now he is a commander of a third of the troops. The king told the troops, I myself will surely march out with you, as opposed to what Ahithophel told, um, as opposed to what Hushai told Absalom. But the men said, you must not go out. If we are forced to flee, they won't care about us. Even if half of us die, they won't care. But you are worth 10,000 of us. It would be better now for you to give us support from the city. So the men say to David, I know that you want to come. But no, no, you can't. You can't. That would be foolishness. This, this, this fight is about you, David. And you need to stay in the city, and we'll go out and we'll fight. We will march. You stay in the city and we'll keep you up to date. Okay? So, the king says, I will do whatever seems best to you. So the king stood beside the gate while all his men marched out in units of hundreds and of thousands. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai. Quote, this is important. Be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. This is no ordinary war. This is no ordinary fighting. This is a civil war. This is between a father and a son. Be gentle with my son Absalom. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. So David gives the three commanders these orders, but the soldiers hear that they are to be gentle with Absalom. Okay? David's army marched out of the city to fight Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. Their day, Israel's troops were routed by David's men, and the casualties that day were great, 20,000 men in this civil war. They're all Israelites. It's like America's civil war. It's most casualties and deaths of any war we've been in. Why? Because everybody who fought and died was an American of some kind, right? It was all, all in the family, brother against brother, cousin against cousin. The battle spread out over the whole countryside and the forest swallowed up more men that day than the sword. There are a lot of reasons people die in battle. It isn't all just because they die um, at the end of a sword or struck by a bullet today. There are lots of reasons. Illness, injury. This is tough terrain. There's tough terrain in Israel. 
Our friend Lior always wanted us to come back and take, a, take basically a walking camping tour of Israel with him. You know, we would camp and sleep in tents and build little fires and... I dare say we did not do that. We asked him if, if, if there was a way to like bring a margarita machine with us. He said, he said, no, 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 Scott, 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 no, but it's wonderful, it's wonderful. I said, well, what? And Patty's curling iron. So, yeah, so uh, we haven't done that. I said, you should have caught me when I was a younger man. Okay. Now, verse 9. Now, Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule. I know, that's always funny, isn't it? You know, you ride, they, you ride what you have. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair while the mule he was riding kept on going. What a ridiculous thing. But you remember, if we went back, what a big deal was made about his hair, right? His hair, his long locks, he had to cut it, and it would weigh like 200 shekels. A man has so much hair, so much hair, so much hair. And now he's riding along, not paying attention to what he's doing, and he gets his hair caught up in the tree and has yanked off his mule. Okay, so I have this, I found this painting from Mike. <laughs> this is a Spanish artist, so they're, they're soldiers. There's, there's Absalom. He's got the beautiful hair, and that's all caught in the tree, and he's just hanging there like, you know, like this. What? Well, let's read on, my friend. Yeah. People are noticing the spears. When one of the men saw what had happened, he told Joab, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree by his hair. Joab said to the man who had told him this, What? You saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I would have had to give you ten shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. But the man replied, Even if a thousand shekels were weighed out into my hands, I would not lay a hand on the king's son. In our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, Protect the young man Absalom for my sake. And if I had put my life in jeopardy, and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have kept your distance from me. You wouldn't have come to my defense, Joab, if I had done something like that. Joab said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So Joab took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. Absalom is a duplicitous murderer. Remember? Joab. Joab is a duplicitous murderer. Remember Joab murdered Abner. Come back, Abner. We're going to sit down and smoke a peace pipe and have a little talk and everything. And then he, Abner came back and... <laughs> Joab is not to be trusted. And somehow he has survived this long. And now he has murdered 
Absalom. Now, in the world of like real life, you know, politics and G war and all that kind of stuff, I mean, you know why he does it. Because this is the, re this is the leader of the rebellion. Cut off the head of the snake is the way he sees it. And he thinks he knows what's best. Despite David saying, be gentle with my son Absalom for my sake. For my sake. David cares more about Absalom than slamming the door on this rebellion. And if you ask me why do I think that is, I think it's because David knows his own guilt in all of this. His hands are not clean in the in in Absalom's story. His hands were clean from the moment that David chose to ignore Amnon's rape of Tamar. He should not have not ignored that, but he did. And now this is where this is where it has come. So the spears you see in the painting here in Absalom's chest were all delivered by Joab. Then Joab sounded the trumpet and the troops stopped pursuing Israel, for Joab halted them. They took Absalom and they threw him into a big pit in the forest and piled up a large heap of rocks over him. Meanwhile, all the Israelites fled to their homes. So what's happened, do you think? They're not going to take Absalom's, Joab's not going to allow him to take Absalom's body down from the tree and take it back. Why? Why won't Joab do that? Why won't Joab take Absalom's body home? Because all, it'll be obvious what happened. And so they take his body down. Joab says, build this big pit. We'll throw him in it. We'll cover it with rocks. And everybody is freaked out. They're terrified of what David's going to do when he finds out. And so they all just flee. They just, you know, their homes aren't that far away. It's not a big place. Like I said before uh, um, we started uh, 2 Samuel today. None of the distances are that great, so they just, they just flee, they just run, they just scatter. Nobody wants to be a part of what just happened. Joab killed Absalom. Verse 18, during his lifetime, Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself. For he thought, I have no son to carry on the memory of my name. He named the pillar after himself, and it is called Absalom's Monument to this day. That's just a poignant reminder to the readers um, that Absalom had erected this monument to himself because he has no children. Now he's dead. His body's thrown into a pit. What would have happened? if David had stood up to Amnon and disciplined him in some way, something, instead of remaining silent? What would have happened if David had received, had 
after the passage of, how was it, five years or something, David had actually welcomed Absalom home. Like the prodigal father, the father welcomes the prodigal son. We'll never know. We will never know. Now Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, said, Let me run and take the news to the king that Yahweh has vindicated him by delivering him from the hand of his enemies. So Ahimaaz, one of the two young men, who the spies, carrying information, is going to run, and he's going to run back to where David is, the city of Mahanaim, and tell David that they were victorious. Joab says, You're not the one to take the news today. You may take the news another time, but you must not do so today because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to a Cushite, basically an Egyptian, Go tell the king what you have seen. And the Cushite bowed down before Joab and ran off. Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, again said to Joab, Come what may, please let me run behind the Cushite. But Joab replied, My son, why do you want to go? Don't you have any news? You don't have news that it's going to bring you any reward. And so the young man says, Come what may, I want to run. So Joab said, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by way of the plain and he outran the Cushite. He's fast, he's fleet of foot. And while David was sitting between the inner and outer gates, the watchman went up to the roof of the gateway by the wall and as he looked out he saw a man running alone and the watchman called out to the king and reported on it there's somebody coming there's somebody coming there's somebody coming and the king said oh if he's alone he must have good news and the runner came closer and closer then the watchman saw another runner and he called down to the gatekeeper look another man running alone and the king said he must be bringing good news too the watchman said, it seems to me that the first one runs like Ahimaaz, son of Zadok. I always thought that was kind of a weird thing. I guess he knows what that guy looks like when he runs. I don't know. <laughs> the way his arms pump or whatever, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. He runs like Ahimaaz, son of Zadok. You know, I could think of certain track runners in the past that had a particular style. Maybe there's something really weird about the way this guy runs. <laughs> Don't know. Don't know. He's a good man, said the king. He comes with good news. Because he's, he's been serving David this whole time, right? So then Ahimaaz called out to the king, All is well. And he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground and said, Please, Praise be to Yahweh your God. He has delivered up those who lifted their hands against my Lord the King. And the king asked, what's his question? He doesn't care about that. Not in his deepest part of his heart. Is the young man Absalom safe? Hmm. That's, that's what's on David's mind. That's what's on David's heart. Ahimaaz answered, I saw great confusion just as Joab was about to send the servant's king, the king's servant, and me, your servant, but I don't know what it was. So Ahimaaz doesn't really know what happened. 
he just knew that they had won and he took off running with the news of victory. The king said, stand aside and wait here. So Dahimaaz stepped aside and stood there. Then the Cushite arrived and said, my lord the king, hear the good news. Yahweh has vindicated you today by delivering you from the hand of all who rose up against you. And the king asked the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, may the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. Which means what? He's dead. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway, the room over, so there's a wall, and there's a gate, and there's gates that open, and there'll be a room of some kind up there on the ramparts. He goes up there, and he wept. And as he went, he said very famously, this is one of the most famous lines in the Hebrew Bible, I think particularly made popularized by Faulkner, right? Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. I believe it was Faulkner who wrote a novel, Oh, Absalom, Oh, Absalom. I could be wrong. I didn't look it up. Not this time. Okay. If only I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. Wow. It's all he cares about. It's all he cares about. They won. The men fought. Men died. Men died fighting for David. He's just not interested in that. Absalom is dead. I love country music, so really, it's okay with me. Works for me. What? Yeah, well, that's a problem when you know you have a class filled with us, with us old people. So, so, yeah, Absalom, oh Absalom. So really do mark that in your Bibles. It's this famous, poignant moment. Victory is David's, but it's utter defeat. He sends the troops out, and what does he say? Be gentle with my son Absalom. He not only informs the three commanders of that order, he makes sure he says it in front of the troops so that they know what the king said. But the duplicitous murderer, Joab, murdered a defenseless Absalom who was hanging from the tree by his hair. Wow. What a story. You know, I mean, we, we come to some of these stories and we kind of wonder like, you know, did this really happen? Who would make this up? That's ridiculous, is it not? That's a ridiculous story. 
I mean, if you're going to make up a story where Absalom dies and then David is mournful and all that, you wouldn't have this. That's just crazy. Hence, it's true. This is it. And it, it gives us a lot of insight, I think, to, to David's heart at this moment and his grief. And when we come back next week, we will see that David's... Okay, this is something I guess we'll talk about next week. Have you know, ever known people who, whose grief was so intense it crossed over to being inappropriate and disrespectful of others? Well, I don't know, but we'll see about David's grief in this. And for my money, David's grief is bound up with his own guilt in this, in this, expanding, this expanding cyclone of, of grief over the death of Absalom. So, you were right about Faulkner. It is Faulkner. Oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom's the name of the novel, right? set in Civil War times, which is, right, that would be appropriate because Civil War, American Civil War is brothers against brothers, cousins, all that kind of stuff, a tale too often told, very sad, and this is the same thing. This is, in the history of Israel, in the Bible, and back, this is back in the days of Samuel and David and the kings and their stuff, there was Civil War and it was all, it was all in the family. They were all cousins. Um, yes? You know, I like the way the artists of this painting stuck to the scripture. Because there's the mule. He's got two spears in him, and Joab's about to throw the third. Yes. I, I like that. I like that. You know, I, a couple of things that the, the artist might not have known. This, my friend, is not a mule. Okay? <laughs> And this kind of armor, I doubt that any of them had armor like that, right, at this time in Israel's history. But you are right. The artist took the time to actually read the story, right? And, and he captures, notice the hair is, it's got this reddish hair, and it's just so beautiful. Notice how the air matches his mule. This is not a mule either, right? But anyway. <laughs> You know, it's just artistically, yeah. It's a it's a Spanish painter from Spanish painter from maybe two hundred years ago. I forget his name. He he painted this. Um, it's a famous moment in scripture: the death of of Absalom, and then the O Absalom, O Absalom, David's poignant cry of grief. Okay. What's that? I said that is a mule. Yes, it is. Is it a mule? Yes. Okay, that is a mule. I need to learn my horse flesh. I'm not going to argue with Pat. How about this one? That's a horse. Okay, we'll settle this after class. Yes. <laughs> yes.
either turn left or turn right. But the mule's so stubborn, he's just going to run straight down. Okay, another good lesson. This is great. I love it when these Bible classes become animal husbandry classes. So, all right, well, let's pray. Gracious Lord, these, 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 are, these are some stories. Let us remember that these, that these are our stories, that, that these are our writings too. You gave them not only to the ancient Hebrews, but you have given them to us. These stories of violence, guilt, grief, murder. The world was broken then and the world is broken now. Now what do we say in the face of this brokenness? So often our hearts just cry out, Maranatha, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. A mule can't have offspring. Yes. Because it's made between a horse and a donkey. Yeah. And and horses and donkeys can't procreate. Horses and mules can't procreate. But the first mule, since it can't have offspring, had to come from a horse and a donkey. Because donkeys can have offspring and horses can have offspring, right? We used to live in the Mojave Desert. Yeah. And hundreds of mules just running loose. Wow. And they actually hire. Uh, so where'd they all come from? from if they from if, the from the uh, prospectors, they would get loose. Yeah, but they can't procreate, so I, the I, yeah, um, herd can't grow. No, no, but a, a donkey and a donkey can. Okay. They, they do appropriate a lot. <laughs> Great. What else does a donkey do? <laughs> I mean, really, you got a lot of time on their hands. Well, yes, Mike. Say, you did say that uh, Larry was had a heart attack. Yes, he did. Um, I texted the, the guys in my uh, Bible study. Okay, good. Good, good. But I got I got to thinking after I texted that they didn't really hear that. No, they're up in Hot Springs. He had a big a big heart attack. Really and and he is unresponsive in the hospital in Hot Springs. He was so he's been so sick for a while. You know that. Yeah, he stopped coming to class probably about eight months ago. Yeah. And uh, when I started that class, he was taking a right there on the spot every morning. Anyhow, good. I'm glad you told I'm, us. Thanks for telling me. I got some good replies by him. Don would appreciate that. Right, thank you. Like your shirt. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Any other horse stories? <laughs> the guy who said oh, the difference between horse and mule, the mule would have uh, 
going straight and the horse for a deer. I was on a Palomino. Beautiful horse. Big horse. Corpus Christi. Nothing but mesquite trees in Corpus Christi. And a few palms. That horse went directly under that tree. And the tree was just about that much. The horse was about that much shorter than the, this, the tree, and I left. I got left hanging from the tree. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, yeah, that makes. You know, the horses. Horse, the horses are going to know how to uh, calculate your height in, on the horse. So, very good. Okay, let's see all the pieces here. And yes, the last guy, Ithio, whatever his name was, it's a fellow. That's Sheba's grandfather. Okay. Well, so you're a pretty old guy. When you think about it, really, however old she was, she's probably not very old when David spies her. <laughs> probably a teenager. Yeah, I guess you're right. So maybe she's 20 by now. No, I mean, she could be like 25 or 28 by now. And so her dad would have to be at least 40 something. Yeah. And then at least another yep. 18, 20 years. Yep. I'm just saying, he was no young man. No, or definitely not. It, I can't believe it, they, away. they ended up with this complicated arrangement of who controls what in the West Bank. <laughs> After like what, the 68 war, I think it was. Look it up on Wikipedia. Wikipedia will have it all there, but no, because otherwise, if it were simply, simply, simply just part of Israel, why would you have the map? Why would the Palestinian Authority be there? Because they're in control of the West Bank. Yeah. Oh. So I think you got to go back and look at the end of the '68 war. That, so that long ago. That long ago. I think I'm right. Well, European powerhouses involved in what? Well, certainly at the end of the First World War, yes, yes, and cre the nations creating um, Jordan, drawing lines all through there. Um, but I think it was the end of the Sixty-Eight War. Israel had—I mean—they did have to face realities that there were lots and lots of Palestinians, and so they settled for having security controls over that area, um, but not. But not political control, which is with the PL. Palestinian Authority used to be the PLO was their you know terrorist arm under what was that guy's name? Uh, yeah. It's all a very complicated history, isn't it? But you know, this is just plain. This is just plain barbarism. This is just plain, we hate Jews. It's like, did you see the video? 
of Palestinians who gathered outside in this big open area outside the city, Sydney Opera House, that iconic building. And they all gathered there and they were shouting, gas the Jews, gas the Jews, gas the Jews, fuck the Jews, fuck the Jews, fuck the Jews. Really? Oh yeah. This is in Sydney? Sydney, Australia. There's Palestinians everywhere. How about the parades in New York in support of the uh, murder of the Jews? The only good Jews are dead Jew. From the river to the sea. That's the Palestinian cry. It's just, you wonder how people could look at the videos of these dead people and the little children being murdered and being captured and